Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Well, today we wrap up our study of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and move into chapter 6. You recall that the final two verses of chapter 5 have to do with our mission and our message. Our mission, verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Our message, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we learn important lessons here about gospel ministry which is, number one, to remember that the essence of good ministry is to faithfully represent our sovereign, to faithfully deliver our commissioned message. It is not our responsibility to make the message acceptable or successful. It is our responsibility to deliver it as it was delivered to us. We are successful to the degree that we are faithful to that assigned task, and we are failures to the degree that we fail to faithfully represent God, regardless of what the world thinks, regardless of what the church thinks. The church may count as successful ministries that God calls complete failures, and the world and the church may count as failures ministries that God considers to be highly successful. So we need to learn what God considers to be faithful gospel ministry. But we also have learned some lessons here about our gospel message, and we'll summarize those before moving into chapter 6. But first, I pause to welcome you to this Wednesday, January 11 Beacon Broadcast, thanking you for joining us and thanking you for remembering that we can only do this by the financial gifts of our radio listeners. What do we learn about the gospel message? Well, certainly that we cannot minimize the sin issue, because that's the heart of our alienation. When we are pleading with people, as God, though God is pleading through us on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, we have to understand why there needs to be reconciliation, and that's because of sin. So in our message to people, we cannot minimize the sin issue, even though We recognize that that will be offensive to many, but nevertheless, that's the heart of the alienation. That's why we need salvation, and people will never come to embrace Christ with true heart faith if they don't understand why they need him. 
nor can we minimize the majesty of God. He is our sovereign ruler and all must bow to him, nor can we minimize truth about Jesus Christ. He is sinless. He is God incarnate. God made him who knew no sin. That needs to be understood. That needs to be proclaimed clearly. Jesus Christ was the sinless Lamb of God. And it is amazing how many people don't seem to understand that who are in church and call themselves Christians. So we need to understand we cannot make the gospel user-friendly. We cannot make the gospel acceptable to unrepentant sinners. Sinners must first surrender to their offended sovereign. But we must declare the amazing love and kindness of God to sinners and implore them to be reconciled to God. The message of the gospel is to sinners. Until people understand themselves to be sinners, we really have no message for them. Smile, God loves you, and and slogans like that are not very helpful. In fact, they are actually, I think, detrimental in the long run because they encourage people to believe that God has a, what should I say, a sunny disposition toward them even in their sin and rebellion. Now, he has a welcoming disposition to all who will acknowledge their sin and come to him in humble repentance but he doesn't have a welcoming disposition to, the, to those who remain in their sin. And so we misrepresent the gospel when we imply that God has this wonderful, warm, loving, sunny disposition, forgiving disposition toward people who are determined to remain in their sins. That's not true. So we must declare the amazing love and kindness of God to sinners and implore them to be reconciled to God, knowing that some will believe and some will reject, and those who reject have only themselves to blame. Every time God's word is proclaimed, it changes all of those who fall within its hearing. No one ever remains unaffected by God's word. To those who hear it positively, there is growth in grace or salvation. To those who reject it or are indifferent to it, it causes them to become calloused. They become hard to the gospel, but it changes everybody. The eye becomes dimmer and dimmer, the ear becomes heavier and heavier, and the mystery of the kingdom more and more obscure. So, therefore... This is a word of warning. It's a very serious matter. It's a great danger. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But now, we move on to chapter 6, which begins with this, this word. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It is a pleading, isn't it? There is a danger, isn't it? To pretend to embrace the gospel or to think one has embraced the gospel when in fact there has not been true heart faith in Christ and true repentant embrace of the gospel. 
Paul is concerned, obviously, about the spiritual well-being of the Corinthians. And he warns them at times and encourages them at times and challenges them at times. He warns them about empty professions without genuine salvation. He encourages them with the wideness of God's mercy toward them. And he challenges them to serve God faithfully and sacrificially. And this first verse of chapter 6 is a word of warning, and I read it again. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, what is this partnership to which Paul refers, as workers together with him? Obviously, he's talking about the gospel ministry as a mutual endeavor. We are workers together. We are partners together. And the words with him, actually, are in italics, so they've been supplied by the translators. What the Greek actually says is, we then are workers, or we then as workers together, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, which leaves unspecified who Paul has in mind with this partnership. We are workers together with who? With the Corinthians? With the missionary team? With others? Well, the truth of the matter is that all gospel workers are in partnership with all other true gospel workers, all those who are also serving the Lord by proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all in this together. We're all working together, even if we don't know each other. We are working together if we are faithfully proclaiming the true gospel of Christ. But in this partnership, this working together, and Paul probably has specific individuals in mind, whether it is Paul and the other apostles working together in his mind at this point. Paul and his missionary team. He always traveled and worked in teams. Does he have them in mind with this phrase, we are workers together? Does he have the Corinthians themselves in mind? Those who are truly saved and are are part of the gospel endeavor. But whoever it is, one thing is clear. It's not only a mutual endeavor of human partnership, but more importantly, It is a human endeavor of divine partnership. Whoever it is that Paul has in mind when he uses that term, we are workers together, he adds that with him, that's implied, but it's very clearly implied because he's already told us, we also plead with you, as though God is pleading with you, chapter 5, verse 20. And so... Paul is reminding gospel workers of the amazing relationship and privilege to be partners with God. And that is amazing, if we'll stop long enough to think about it, that God, Almighty God, Sovereign God, all-powerful Creator of the universe, who speaks and makes things happen, who speaks and creates things out of nothing, who speaks and creates life, who has a countless host of angels who are sinless, holy angels, who serve him perfectly, never fail in any way, that God, in his own wisdom, has chosen to incorporate fallible human beings in partnership with him in the work of redemption. Doesn't that strike you as amazing? 
It does me whenever I think about it, and I should think about it more often. God has invited, that's a proper term, but God has also instructed, commanded Christians to enter into partnership with him in the work of the gospel. What an amazing relationship that we can be workers together with God. We take that for granted. We just assume we just assume that that's the only way that God can get anything done in this world. I think many people assume that, and that's very foolish thinking, isn't it? But that's the idea that many Christians have, that God is dependent upon us. In fact, that's the way it's presented. That's the way it's preached sometimes, that God is dependent upon us. He has... I've heard this, haven't you? He has no hands but my hands or your hands. He has no lips but your lips. He has no feet but your feet. Well, not exactly. He can accomplish whatever he wants to without any instrumentality. Or he could accomplish what he has determined to accomplish using angelic messengers. He's done so much of that in the past. As you read the Bible, you are amazed at how much of God's work is carried out by angels. But for purposes which he has not fully explained, but which for some reason bring him glory, he has decided, he has chosen to partner with redeemed sons and daughters of his, but who are still wrestling with Adamic frailty and therefore are very imperfect, very unreliable, and yet he's chosen to do that to get his work done. And he's told us so that, that the reason for that is so that these clay plots, clay pots is what we are, won't get the glory, but that he will. He uses imperfect messengers in order that the obvious credit goes to him, not us. Well, join me again tomorrow as we continue. Until then, good day. May God give you his eternal peace.